Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Valerie King, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations at Ariel Investments. Valerie joined Ariel in 2018 and focuses on institutional business development and client services. Previously, she spent 17 years as Director of Sales and Marketing for Holland Capital Management. Prior to that, Valerie was Vice President of Marketing for T. Rowe Price Group, Incorporated. Outside of Ariel, Valerie is a member of the Illinois Arts Council Board, the Chicago Urban League, Chicago United's Leaders Council, and the Steering Committee for the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago's Financial Services Pipeline. Valerie earned a bachelor's in architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology and an MBA from Clark Atlanta University. As you can hear from the conversation, Valerie is very, very passionate about the work that she does, and I got so much from listening to her in terms of what I want to represent myself as when I show up in corporate America. So I hope that you get a lot from this interview with Valerie. Valerie, thank you so much for joining the podcast this morning, even though you said you have no idea what a podcast is. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking to Valerie King over at Aerial Investments, which I believe is, if not the largest, one of the largest financial institutions owned by an African-American person in the country. Correct. Um, And for you, you are the Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Correct. What does that mean? I looked it up, I'm like, what does she do day to day? Well, typically in our industry, titles are pretty much deceiving. Okay. And so we always laugh and joke that titles mean nothing. Um, Basically, um, investor relations is part of the marketing and sales um, efforts within the firm. And so primarily I'm responsible for uh, client relationships, uh, working with uh, the sales team, helping them uh, get prospects, meeting with the prospects, uh, serving as a, a sort of a brand for the firm, and supporting our consultant relations efforts. So it's just a myriad of different um, responsibilities. But all in all, it's it's the major part. Part of it is actually helping increase the assets of the firm. And did you always know that this is what you wanted to do? No. I have a very interesting story. Um, if I may give you a little background. Would love it, would love that. So um, this is my, I call it my second uh, life in terms of a career. Uh, I was initially an architect, and so uh, my undergrad degree is in architecture. And I started working as an architect right out of uh, undergrad. Um, At that time, I worked probably for three, four years. It was around the time when architecture, you know, I was old school, I was drawing by hand, that sort of thing. Uh, technology uh, came into the play. Came into play and started impacting a lot of smaller uh, architectural firms, and so um, a lot of layoffs, a lot of firms shutting down. But I was uh, fortunate enough to work with our marketing team, and so I said, you know what, this is something I enjoy. I want to do, um, and I figured whatever I do next, if I had a business background, I would survive. And so I decided to uh, go to business school. And once in business school, because I had already been introduced to quote unquote marketing, I felt that was what I wanted to do. Uh, But more so from a brand perspective. I was like, I'll come back to Chicago, work at like Kraft, work on uh, the mac and cheese box or something. (laughs) So it was always thinking more, you know, brand marketing. 
And, you know, I was just, you know, typically when, it's just like a regular student. When you go to school, you get exposed to areas that you're not really aware of. And so I got, I got exposed more so to the finance piece of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, got my first summer internship while I was getting my MBA. I actually got an internship with American Express in New York. Had never spent any time. I had never been to New York. Had never spent any time. But I always would hear you know, you don't really make it until you uh, spend some time in New York. So Agreed. I was like, and actually I got that internship because I went to an HBCU. I actually was a ambassador for, for my school and I was at a Harvard uh, business school um, job fair. And American Express had representatives there and they were talking to me and I said, look, first let me let you know I don't go to Harvard. They were like, we don't care about that. <laughs> and so they interviewed me on the spot, offered me, well, they asked me to come visit and interview with, with the team there and I did and I got the internship. And so once I got in at American Express, I started working more so, it was more like marketing slash financial because then you're working with credit cards and that sort of thing. Um, Worked there for the summer, came back and worked full-time for a few years, and my uh, boss at the time uh, was also a mentor of mine and ended up moving to Baltimore. I also had an opportunity. I actually fell in love, and the guy I was dating was living in that area, so he's like, Valerie, why don't you come out here, work for me. He worked for T. Rowe Price, which is an investment company. I knew nothing about investments. I was like, I know nothing about it. He said, I will train you. I will teach you. Mm. You, you know, you're smart. I, you know, I, I, I trust you, so come on out. So I did that, and that was my entrance into financial services uh, and in, in the whole investment world. And so, but again, I always had that marketing piece to kind of balance it out because I wasn't really a true finance person. That was not something that I wanted to really do. Mm. And um, that's kind of how I got introduced, per se, to uh, the investment uh, financial services world. Got it. And you talk about, you know, your mentor who said, hey, come, well, fall in love, too. But your mentor who said, why don't you come work for me? Mm -hmm. How has mentorship played a role in your, you know, your career trajectory? Is it something that you knew that you needed? Or, and if it is, how did you find those mentors? Well, it was interesting. Somebody told me a long time ago that mentors talk to you sponsors talk about you mm. and so they you know I was I've always been one of those people I'd have to say lucky enough to have the right um, network uh, you know and, and I, I'll, I call it a, I'm sure you've heard this probably from some of your other interviews a personal board of directors where you can go to people just to seek advice and guidance mm -hmm. so I've always been blessed to kind of have that I think it's a must to have a mentor and a sponsor, or plural, um, particularly for um, young black women. Um, there's lots of times you just don't know things, and you just need somebody to go to for, like I said, uh, guidance and advice. Um, most of the, uh, the mentors that I've had and sponsors, I've either worked for them or with them, because it's important to demonstrate your worth. Um, you know, folks have to kind of, I believe folks have to like you and they have to trust you mm. um, so that they're comfortable speaking on your behalf. Mm. And so when you say, do you seek them out, I think it's kind of a two-way street because people, you know, 
folks don't have time anymore. We're all on these crazy schedules, so you have to kind of, you know, it's a give and take situation. So, um, as far as black women, um, in the investment business now for me, it's very, well, first of all, our business is very chauvinist. So, in this business today's day, I do believe that it's very vital that you have black women, mm. a black woman or black women um, as your mentor. And getting, because I think, and we have talked about this in some previous interviews, but when you think finance or financial services or just the industry in general, the picture that you see is not you, right? And Correct. so how has that changed or has it changed since you've started and what, what, why do you think that is? Well, again, as I mentioned before, it's a very chauvinistic industry overall. I mean, the, the typical uh, norm is the white male. Correct. Um, and so I think for me, I, I've actually been lucky enough to work when I first got in the business. Well, after I did my stint at T. Rowe Price and then I went to Holland Capital Management, was a, which was another minority-owned investment firm, small, more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. It was run by uh, Lou Holland, who black man as well. But what Lou did was his team, his partners, were four women. Mm. And so that is what attracted me to that firm. So he, he always said, you know, women are, they, they're always in the detail. He said, I believe that my strength, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. So I know I need a team of women. Mm. And so I, you know, I was uh, blessed to have the opportunity to work with, um, with his four female partners. Mm. When he retired, one of his partners ended up becoming the CEO. So my my boss was a black female mm. for 17 years you know for I was there for 17 years but he retired uh, so my my last boss was a black female CEO for for my last 10 years at Holland Capital Management so for me you know we were partners it's like you know we would do things from a business perspective but yet we had a very good personal relationship mm -hmm. because we identified with each other mm. So I think I'm kind of definitely the exception there. Mm. Um, and then as I thought about once our firm closed, as I thought about what's next for me, um, I was interviewing with a lot of big majority firms and I just didn't want to go backwards. I knew what, mm. you know, I was like, look, I don't have much time. I'm not trying to work for the next 20 years. I want to do it my way. Mm. And so, um, you know, Melody and John have always been, you know, you know, we've kind of been partners in this effort of, minority investment firms and so they understand they know they know that I wear the badge mm -hmm. in terms of being an advocate for uh, getting helping you know minority owned firms get more business in the investment business so it was kind of a win-win for both of us mm -hmm. and then to have the opportunity to work for one of the most powerful black women um, right now Melody Hobson. in the world in the world in the yeah I mean world. it's it's kind of like it was kind of a it, it was a slam dunk for me mm -hmm. And then to work with John Rogers also, who, you know, has done a phenomenal job building this business, 35 years. Brilliant, brilliant. Part. Absolutely, 35 years, so. Um, so we talked about your career, where you started. For you, how have you known it was time to move on from one opportunity to the next, right? So you talked about the different companies that you've worked for. Are mm -hmm. there things that you feel or you think and you, when you know that, like, it's time to move on? I think um, when you become bored, unhappy or uncomfortable with your current role. How do you know that it's the job and not you? Like, let's say you're, not you specifically, but let's say you're unhappy. 
how do you know that it's not something that's within your control or the actual environment that you're in? I think you have to do a self-assessment. And for me, I've never been one to make to pull the trigger quickly. Um, I'm, again, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm very old school, so I'm one of those rare people who've had, I've only had like three jobs in my big career life. I've worked with companies for a long time, so, um, you know, I think the whole idea of pivot points, for me, it was when, you know, and I, I tend to, to hold on to things too much longer than I should, <laughs> so uh, knowing when to move to the next level, I've been pretty much pushed off the ledge versus me making that initial step. So got it, got it. So someone's like, okay, Valerie, it's, it's time. time. It's yes. time. You, yes. So Again. like, Valerie, yes, enough. Push. Yes. On. I'm one who gets pushed. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of times now, there's a conversation around you know your authentic self, your whole self, bringing mm -hmm. that to work. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen that evolve within corporate since you've been there? And if so, how do you think it's different now? Yeah, it's definitely evolved. Um, I do recall the days when business attire was, for women, was a, a business suit, typically a skirt, and the, the white or um, cream-colored tie bow blouse very in the, in the pumps. Um, definitely different now. Um, one, again, one of the advantages for me was to work in, a, in New York City at a firm like American Express, and I remember they were like, they actually would give their interns a clothing allowance because you had to look a certain way. You had to look a certain way. I don't know way. if that's terrible or phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. You had to look a certain way. And so I've always, and then I've always had a love for fashion. So for me, it's been important. I mean, I think, you know, your, pack, your package pretty much speaks for itself. People's first initial impression is what they see. Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, in a business like ours, you know, again, that, that whole male-dominated industry from when I started off as an architect, same thing, even in the investment business. I mean, women, the, the eye is on you at all times, mm. and so how you look is extremely important. Mm. Um, I think it's definitely involved, in particular for smaller, more entrepreneurial firms, I think there's much more latitude to be a little bit more creative with what you wear. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Um, I've been at Ariel only a couple of months, and, and I just find it phenomenal, and and, and and just blows me away that people can come in on Casual Friday in a t-shirt that has a picture of Nelson Mandela, and nobody says anything. I do know that if somebody had worn that t-shirt at prior firms I worked for, trust me, you would have been called into HR. <laughs> you know, somebody might have been offended. So, so do you think that's a, that's because of the time or because of the firm? I think it's probably because of the firm okay. in that instance. So people don't, if you're listening to this, she's talking about her current place, don't walk up in Correct. J.P. Morgan in your Nelson Mandela shirt because you might get called in HR. Right. But no, but it's, it has been a little bit more lax as you see people yes. walking in the streets, like yep. the, the yep. clothing um, has been yeah, and then I think overall it's changed because I think technology has had a major influence. A lot mm -hmm. of the tech firms, you know, people show up in t-shirts and jeans. Mm -hmm. And then firms that typically were business casual every day have mm -hmm. now went to, I mean, I'm sorry, business every day are now business casual. Or at least have Friday where you have jean day mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So there's definitely been an evolution in terms of what's considered appropriate attire. Let's talk about hair. Right, because okay. that's the thing that comes up all the time. So, there is 
in theory, or what you see most, like the black corporate woman haircut or hairstyle. That usually there's two, right? It's the short pixie or like the long blowout. Have you found that corporate is becoming more accepting of different variations, or is there like a rule around what your hair should look like? Because I think people worry about all about that all the time. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what I was saying about attire. You know, I, I believe it's more about your 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 total the total professional package than just hair. So, and then it also, yeah, it depends on your industry, whether you're in a more conservative or more liberal, liberal environment. Um, for me, because I have always been sort of the face or interacting with a lot of the, the our potential customers or, com, uh, or uh, customers, current customers, it's very important that they feel comfortable with me. Mm. And so I've had to sort of always keep that in mind and and typically a lot of my customers were you know Caucasian people and so if I was to walk in there with braids or an afro it might be a little intimidating so I personally made the decision to avoid that mm -hmm. and I tend to just wear my hair straight now I wear a short cut but not uh, I do keep it in its natural state state but it's still you know blown out sort mm -hmm. of um, and I do. I think there's certain, you know, there's a certain. You have to really think about your situation. And for me, it's like what works best for me. Mm. But I love it. There are people here who wear natural hair, and I, you know, more power to them. I think it's great. It just depends on what works for you. And you, you touched on this briefly, but even though you work for uh, a minority-owned firm, a lot of your day-to-day -day business interactions are not with Correct. minorities. And so, do you think about avoiding the stereotypes in terms of like, I don't want to come across as like the angry black woman, or, or how does that play into your mind as you decide your communication style with people, the, the you know, being who you are, but still being able to adjust in a way to get you the results that you need for your company? Yeah, I think there's a certain, yeah, you have to weigh it. It has to be a balance. Um, I, I tend to feel like my personality is typically not, um, I'm not one of the, aggressor particularly in sales and marketing you have to be very um, you know people really don't want to be you know you can't be so aggressive or what I call it barracuda marketing and so I tend to have a more softer approach but when it's time to present and it's time to get the business you have to come across with a certain amount of you know you have to assert yourself and they have people have to under you know actually believe that you know you have the the power and you have the knowledge to do the job and so there's a certain amount of you know i just i don't look at it as being aggressive but you just have to take your stance and and speak and speak your mind but do it in a way where it's balanced where the people aren't they don't feel intimidated yeah, the, the fine line between confidence and arrogance or confidence Correct. and aggression and figuring out what that looks like. Yes. Um, and how did you, like, have you always been that way? Where you're, where you're able to weigh the... No. <laughs> I think that comes with time. Again, you know, when you're young, you're a hothead, and you believe that it's all about you and what you feel. And, you know, it, it has come with some growing pains. Mm. You know, I had, to, I had to watch and I had to listen and see, you know how it should be done mm -hmm. because you just don't automatically know that when you're young and mm -hmm. you're early in your career you I think you know one of the things about me that's helped me is that I'm I was one who always wanted to watch and listen and see 
you know, how it should be done versus how I think it should be done. Mm. And you talked about um, taking on new roles, right? So taking on financial services, which is not your background. Um, what do you think gave you the confidence to do something like that, even early on in your career? I know that a lot of times people are afraid to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so one, what gave you the confidence to be able to move in to a completely different space when you were already comfortable and knowledgeable mm -hmm. um, within your uh, area of expertise, I would say. And then can you think back to a specific time where maybe you made a mistake and talk through the process of how you corrupted that mistake? Mm -hmm. I think when you have people who believe in you, um, it's very important. I think, you know, because you're gonna, the confidence factor is definitely important particularly when you're looking to make a, a, where you're pivoting or making change because you, you have your own doubts. But if somebody believes in you, like I mentioned, you know, my mentors and sponsors are like, you can do this, you know, because I, I had hesitant, I was hesitant about even coming to Ariel. I'm like, I don't know, you know, they don't need me. What am I going to do over there? You know, Melody's got her team, they're doing it, you know. And I didn't, I honestly didn't think that you know, this was an opportunity for me. And after coming in and talking to people, they were like, I had no idea that they were in here thinking I was all that. And I'm out there thinking they're all that. <laughs> so you just never know. Um, I think your reputation is very important. But um, your point about, um, help me. Mistakes? You, mistakes. Yes, made a lot of them. Um, <laughs> I think that... Um, and those were my, I call them pivot points. And one of them I kind of touched on earlier, and that's staying a little bit too long mm. um, at a firm and, and just knowing when to kind of pull the plug. And it's like that with any, even in personal relationships. Sometimes we date people that we don't need to be dating for long. We need to know when to pull the plug. Mm. And so I, I, I often find that my personal life and my professional life kind of, you know, um, uh, mirror each other. And so, professionally, for me, a couple of my mistakes have been in that. I, I kind of stayed a little too long, and I, I figured, you know, you grow complacent. You're like, this is this is the world I know, um, and and then the threat of and the, the 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 fear of taking on new responsibilities and learning new things. You know, we we sometimes feel like oh, I don't I don't want to learn anything new. I'm okay where I'm at, mm -hmm. and and to me, you know, I think. Um, you know, when you can learn, it's always growth for you. So it's a continuous process. So I think I've made mistakes when I've just kind of said, you know what, no, I'm fine. You know, people have come to me with opportunities that, that were probably really good. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine here. I'll stay mm -hmm. here. You know, I got it's it here. Safe and comfortable. Absolutely. So uh, when you say mistakes, I think that's kind of a couple of times I've made those mistakes. And so you are in, obviously, senior management, you manage people you have for quite some time. Um, and for people who are getting complacent, right, and they feel like, I think I'm ready for the next level, I think I'm ready for a promotion, I think I'm ready to do something more, what are some things that they need to prepare for before they come and talk to you about that? Like, what things should they have thought through? What, um, like what matters to you when someone is talking to you about maybe not staying in something too long? Yeah. I think that we have to do our own homework, um, and again, it goes back to that whole personal assessment thing, and we have to look at, really be honest with ourselves, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses? And then whatever firm you're at, what are the problems, how can I help, 
Um, where can I be a value add? Um, and then you, I'm old school, write it down, make sure you, when you come to me, you got your list. This is how I can be effective. This is how I think we should address this issue. And this is what I've come up with in terms of uh, solving problems. Now, I understand that maybe I'm not, you know, necessarily um, at a level where you may think I'm ready, but I am in, uh, I have the intent to A, go back to school, take a certain class. I'm um, doing some, uh, uh, I have a mentor that I'm working with. I mean, I have, I have to see, I think when, when people, younger people come, because a lot of times, and you know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of um, bad press about the millennials and their attitude and their um, sense of entitlement and how they want to just, you know, be in the corner office after a year or two of working at a firm. And so, again, I think patience is important and timing is important, but you also have to have the willingness to really grind. And I need to see that. Before you ask, let's, before. See, let's see you excelling at your current job. Absolutely. Let me see your grind before you even come here. And then, you know, once you get to that level, like I said, there's certain steps you take and you know that that means you know sometimes people look at people's jobs and say, oh that's easy I want to do that but do you really know what that means mm -hmm. you got to do your homework I'm, I'm one do your research meet with people talk to people what is their day-to-day -day like um, what skills are important how do you how do you define success and what you do and you know it's it's bigger than just what you see and then you just talked to touch briefly on skills like what are three skills that you've had to develop over the course of your career that have now allowed you to be successful in the seat that you're sitting in? like without these three skills like you just could not excel here I think number one is resilience and you may have probably heard this from a lot of people but you've got to have tough skin and be able to bounce back after adversity mm -hmm. I mean sensitivities I mean seriously you're gonna get your feelings hurt so tough skin you got to learn not to take it personal and for me and you know it's not easy it's, it's easier said than done I still struggle with it mm -hmm. but I think that number one has been um, uh, a key to my success in that you know I haven't just let uh, a mistake or a negative comment or whatever keep me doubtful or make me doubtful about my abilities and skills or keep me in a place of well, oh god you know what am I gonna do mm -hmm. so resiliency number one um, and I think, two, number two, if I think about it, it's being um, uh, excelling and being okay with being a, an all-star right-hand man slash woman, meaning that I don't have to be the front man. Mm -hmm. I'm okay being, it's almost like Batman and Robin. You know, it's a team thing. Robin had a big part in making Batman successful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that has been good with me. Like I said, I was able to work directly with our CEO. And I think together we built a phenomenal business. But mm -hmm. she's the front person. Mm -hmm. And she'll tell you, I, she could have never been successful and did anything that she's done without me and the mm -hmm. support that I gave. Mm -hmm. So I think, I, and that's always how I've been. I never needed to be that front person. So um, being an all-star right-hand a uh, man is number two. Um, and everybody thinks they want to be Batman because yep. they don't know what it means to be Absolutely. Batman. <laughs> and then I think third, just be, like I mentioned before, just being a kind person and willing to listen and learning to listen. Um, I was always told nobody knows how much you know um, until they know how much you care. 
And so I think that's very, very important. Say that again, Valerie. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Dropping gems, yes. You gotta have it. Nobody thinks about that though. Yeah. So these are, you know, these are little intrinsic things that do add up to success. It's not always about, you know, well, this person is the CEO, this person makes this much money. It's the person who, you know, when you can have a genuine care, when you genuinely care about people, trust me, it, it, it goes a long way. A mm. um, couple of others I'll just add is um, I've always felt that what helped me become successful is I always believed in surrounding myself with what I call genius Meaning, just make sure you've got people who are smarter than you, who, you know, who are doing things that you would love to do. Just keep them in your circle, you know, because you may not be there, but just that stuff rubs off. Mm. So surrounding yourself with genius is always very important, I think. And then um, outworking the smartest person um, at the firm. And that may mean that, again, you have brilliant people all around you, but... And you don't have to be the smartest person on the team, but can you outwork them? Are you there the first? Are you the first person in the office, last one to leave? Can people depend on you to carry, you know, carry the load if they're not in the office? Say, hey, can you do this for me? Become that person because you will be invaluable. Mm-hmm. And when 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 things get bad, you're the last person people think about letting go because you're you're, you're very much needed. Mm-hmm. So just make yourself, like I said, just outwork. Just want to say so that people can say, I know that person will outwork anybody here. I want them on my team. Mm. So we talk about you know being the first person in, last person to leave. Um, but earlier this morning we were talking about you also being married, right? And the question of how do you do both, right? Have, did you think about the impact that marriage would have on your career? Was that a consideration, or even if it's like starting a family or those kinds of things? Did you think about the impact that they would have? Yes. I think, I think that's very important because, you know, a lot of times I know a lot of women that are married, you feel guilty. You're like, I need to spend more time. And we hear it all the time. And so my husband actually helps me balance my life. Mm. And so I've kind of made a, a, a sort of a, a, a deal with myself. I try not to bring work home, which is why I tend to work 11, 12 hours at the office so that when I do come home, it's my personal time. Mm. And then I have my weekend time. So I'll put the grind in Monday through Friday. And then, you know, come home, we have try to have dinner together or whatever, spend some time. And then I'm a, I'm totally believing you work hard, you play hard. Mm. And so vacations and traveling and time off, I think it's crucial. Times with my girlfriends, crucial. Time with my family, crucial. So I, I kind of make sure that I have that because that keeps me you know, balanced. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And you talk about vacation, time off with your girls. Another hot topic right now is self-care, right? Mm-hmm. Which stresses people out because you're like, am I doing this right? Am I, you know, mm-hmm. what is it supposed to look like? So for you, what does self-care look like? You know, it, it becomes, it, it, you know, it's a mental thing. It's a physical thing. And I know when I get run down, I have to just make sure that I take a time out and say, okay, what do I need to do? I'd like to read, things that are calming, things that, you know, I go to church, you know, I pray, I meditate. I have, have I started this thing where, and I got this from watching uh, the show Being Mary Jane, where she has the, um, the sticky notes, yes, 
with affirmations. Mm. And so I actually started that, and I have them on my mirror, you know. I don't have them all over the place because my husband would be like, what's all this? But in the medicine cabinet, when I open the cabinet, I have a few affirmations that I literally read every morning, and a few of them I just say, you know, right before I'm brushing my teeth, I say them. So it just kind of gets me in a, in a in, you know, I can tackle today, mm. no matter what, but yeah. And you talked, before we get to the lightning round questions, you talked about, you know, your girlfriends. How have you grown or expanded your tribe in terms of like your close personal friends and then your professional network, right? If you don't have parents who are part of this world or siblings who are part of this world, I think it can be a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, and so for how have you cultivated those relationships with your tribe, like your close group of friends where things are falling apart, you're like, I need a glass of wine, mm -hmm. this group, and then how have you cultivated your professional network so that you can have your pulse on what is happening in terms of corporate? Right. So, uh, my girlfriends, my core group of girlfriends, I call them my sister circle. Those are the young ladies that are women that are not part of my, they couldn't even tell you what I do. If you said, what's Valerie's job? They're like, I don't know. I know she works at Ariel and she works with Melody Hobson and John Rock. They have no idea what that role entails. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Because that's my sister circle. And we're there for each other. We got each other's back. We're each other's ride or dies. Now, then I have a core network of women that are in the industry. And we, uh, Chicago has been great with having a group of uh, black women who are in the investment business that pretty much stick together. And mm -hmm. so we do a lot of quarterly things, we do dinners, we, you know, um, just get together for cocktails and just kind of like, it's our chance to just let it all out mm -hmm. and vent. Then, from a larger, uh, from a more national perspective, you and it's so few of us. You meet each other on, on on the circuit at conferences, and so we have developed our network as well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've got there are women who work for the larger firms, there are women who work for the smaller firms, and we've got some younger ladies that we try to mentor, mm -hmm. and then we've got our mentors. So it's I think um, as black women we owe it to each other. We've done a very good job, I think. Of, making sure that we're taken care of and we have a place to go for any issues or if there's someone who needs a job you know we're the job bank we're everything <laughs> we're everything um, and entrepreneurship is something that everyone's talking about right for it's a hot thing like the mm -hmm. within black people and with black women particularly what has kept you from making the jump to entrepreneurship and kept you in the corporate space well I think basically I consider working for small uh, firms like this, uh, and it's, it has a very entrepreneurial spirit, culture, flavor, mm. because, you know, uh, Ariel is about 95 people, you know, for me, the last 17 years, I worked for a firm that was 24 people, and so it had, you know, we were like a family, mm. and so to me, that is entrepreneurial, when you're not at a big, you know, majority-owned firm where, you know, it's thousands and thousands of folks. So um, I do consider this entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And I and when I made the leap from T. Rowe Price to Holland Capital, that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to get away from the big corporate America and do something smaller because mm -hmm. I had never done that. I'd worked for American Express and then T. Rowe Price. I was like, 
I want to do something that has a little bit more of an entrepreneurial flavor where I can go into the CEO's office and talk. Mm. sit down and have a conversation and I'm amongst I'm sitting at the table with all of the C-suite people the people who really run in the firm mm. so I can have my hand in all of the avenues of the business mm. you know so you know I consider this that it has that entrepreneurial favor and that's good enough for me having my own firm I never really wanted to do that unless it was a business a side business that I was doing but just running a day-to-day -day firm that was never something that I um, wanted to have. Got it. And so we'll go to the lightning round questions. Okay. Don't overthink these. It's supposed to be the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Um, so in the first question, your answer won't even matter that you wrote down because I changed it. You probably did. Um, so looking back now, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you had gotten earlier? That I did not need to get married to be considered uh, a successful career woman early. Mm -hmm. oh, I can't even ask a follow-up, but that's okay. What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn? Uh, not to take things personal. Mm -hmm. um, what's one book that's had the biggest impact on your career or that you could read over and over again? Uh, Think and Grow Rich by Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Um, and as you mentioned before, right, when we were talking about sponsorship, a lot of times career decisions about you are made when you're not in the room. So for you, what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Um, that I'm smart, that I'm a God-fearing woman, and that, um, that I made them feel better um, and, and inspired them after just being around me. That is perfect. Um, thank you again, Valerie, for talking to me. Um, I have written down, I might have a bunch of notes that... Um, I will share with everyone, but thank you again for making the time. Sure, appreciate it. As you all know, I like to end my interviews with the top three things that I learned from my conversation. And so the top three for this one are, first, mentors talk to you, sponsors talk about you. Two, people have to like you and trust you so that they feel comfortable speaking on your behalf. And last but not least, and this is the one that I was like, wow, Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. As always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going, join us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.